Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why luck is predictable and how you can make yourself luckier. But first, you'll learn about what's next for quantum computers with some help from Chris Bernhardt, author of the new book, Quantum Computing for Everyone. Let's satisfy some curiosity. It's time for the second half of our two-part Quantum Wednesdays miniseries. Last week, we talked about qubits and entanglement, which are two core concepts to help you understand quantum computers. Once you understand those two ideas, then you can start playing around with quantum computers. And that is pretty exciting. Chris Bernhardt is a professor of mathematics at Fairfield University and the author of the new book, Quantum Computing for Everyone. And here's what he says we hope to actually do with quantum computers now that we have them. One of the really exciting uh, things is that IBM has put a, a, a quantum computer in the cloud and anyone can play with it. Anyone can interact with it. It's got a nice graphical interface. So the way I see things moving forward now are that we're going to have teenagers at high school, they'll learn a little bit about quantum computing and they'll actually be able to play with a quantum computer. And what they'll do, I mean, you know, it's difficult to tell, I mean, but... Uh, once, you, once you've got a tool and you start experimenting, there's going to be you know, lots of things that uh, people will find interesting. The IBM computer is called the IBM Q Experience. And as of May 2018, there are three processors. Two of them are five qubit processors. And the third is a 16 qubit processor. And you can interact with it um, using simulations or you can actually run the computer. You will actually store your program and, and run it on the computer. Let's get into that because the state of the technology is really confusing because it seems like I've heard of companies that have like 2,000 qubit machines right, and then right. I hear about another company that's like, oh, ours is even more powerful and it only has two qubits and it's, I don't really understand how one is more powerful than the other. Yeah, so um, a lot of the confusion is through um, Q-Wave. So Q-Wave has got some computers with I mean, thousands of, of qubits, but they're very special machines just designed for solving very special problems. And the question of whether they're actually doing anything that um, a classical computer can't do is, is not clear. I mean, I think uh, some people feel that uh, anything you could do with one of Q-Wave's computers, you could probably do with a classical computer. But what Google is doing, so Google and other companies are developing quantum computers using far fewer qubits. Google's working on a computer that's supposed to have about 72 qubits. And this will be sort of a universal computer, one that will tackle any problem that uh, you can program into it. And they expect probably this year to announce that they've actually got a problem that this computer solved that a classical computer cannot solve. So this will be what's called the era of quantum supremacy, when um, there's this problem being solved on a quantum computer that cannot be solved on a classical computer. And of course, initially, it's probably going to be a highly contrived problem. Google probably this year will come up with some problem that's been solved on a quantum computer that cannot be solved on a classical computer. And then I imagine fairly shortly afterwards, there are going to be actual practical applications, probably to chemistry. Okay. So they're basically just going to, you think they're going to design a problem just that's purely designed so that only a quantum computer can solve it and not necessarily solve any other problem in the world. But then after that, they're going to actually start solving the world's problems. Right, right. Yes. I mean, the first, I mean, the next step is to 
you know, actually solve a problem that you cannot solve on a classical computer. That, that's the next step. I'm more of an educator. So what I'm really excited about is this little quantum computer that IBM's put on the cloud that anyone can play with. So I'm, I, I hope that, you know, we're going to see kids playing on the quantum computer and coming up with their own little examples. It's much like um, what happened with classical computers. You know, suddenly we had these home computers when you could have a computer in your own home and start playing with it. So I think the same thing is just about here with quantum computers now that IBM is putting them on, on the cloud. But in terms of actual practical things, I think the first thing we're probably going to see is applications to chemistry where you know chemical reactions really, at fundamental level, are, are quantum uh, phenomena. Uh, and to understand them, it makes a lot of sense to you know, simulate them on a quantum computer. So at a very general level, how much more powerful is a given quantum computer, like maybe the one that's on the cloud right now, to this laptop I have in front of me? Is that even a question that's answerable? Well, it's... Really, I mean, it's, it's not going to be. So anything you could do on this uh, quantum computer that's on the cloud, you can do on your laptop. Uh, it's, it's not until you get up to about, you know, 70 or so qubits that you suddenly get something that's much more powerful than uh, a laptop. And the thing to remember about qubits, that each time you add a qubit to your computer, you double the power, essentially. So in some sense, you should think of it as being 2 to the power 72 the total number of states. Wow. I mean, the, the, the one, you, yeah, that's um, a good first approximation. And the other thing with uh, quantum computers is that you've got to do a lot of error correcting because they you know, tend to interact with the atmospheres and you, errors creep in. So you've got to, you've got to lose, use a lot of qubits to error correct. So uh, it's not quite doubling the power each time you add a qubit because you've got to add more qubits to you know, error correct. Again, that was Chris Bernhardt, professor of mathematics at Fairfield University and the author of the new book, Quantum Computing for Everyone. You can hear our entire uncut interview with Chris for free on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. And we'll put a link to his book in today's show notes. Today's episode is paid for by NHTSA. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a little bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't. Ever. Trains are going a lot faster than you expect them to be. And they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal. And what used to be you, well, better not to think about that. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop even if it sees you. The result is disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Here's some good news. Luck isn't random. In fact, it's not the universe or random chance that makes you lucky or unlucky. It's your own thoughts and behaviors, which means you can make yourself luckier. This idea comes from a 10-year study by an English psychologist and author named Richard Wiseman. He placed ads in the newspaper looking for people who considered themselves very lucky or very unlucky, and he ended up including 400 participants in the study from all walks of life. In his experiments, he looked at how people saw their own luckiness. For example, in one experiment, he presented both lucky and unlucky people with a scenario. You can play along at home. Imagine you're at a bank when an armed robber comes in. 
He fires a single bullet and it hits you in the arm. Would you consider this event lucky or unlucky? What do you think, Cody? I would say lucky. I would say that things could be a lot more worse than they could be a lot more better. Er. <laughs> I mean, totally. That bullet could have hit you in the face. But I've talked to people who absolutely think that was unlucky. You were in a bank when an armed robber came in. That's unlucky. That's true. But I would then sustain a non-fatal injury, which is better than the alternative of somebody else or me being actually killed. See, I think that means that you and I are lucky people. Wiseman found that unlucky people were more likely to say it was unlucky because it was their bad luck, not only to be in the bank when a robber showed up, but then also to be the only person who got shot. But on the flip side, lucky people thought it was a lucky scenario. That's us. Yeah. After all, you could have been shot in the head. Wiseman summed it up in an article he wrote about the experiment. Quote, lucky people tend to imagine spontaneously how the bad luck they encounter could have been worse. And in doing so, they feel much better about themselves and their lives. This, in turn, helps keep their expectations about the future high and increases the likelihood of them continuing to live a lucky life, unquote. Wiseman used his research to come up with four principles to help people improve their luck, and you can use them too. First, maximize chance opportunities. Stay open to new experiences and try to have a relaxed attitude. Second, listen to lucky hunches. Pay attention to your intuition and work to clear your mind of cluttering thoughts. Third, expect good fortune. Lucky people assume that everything will turn out all right. That helps them keep going even in the face of failure. And finally, turn bad luck into good. Imagine how things could have been worse. Don't dwell on the bad. Take control rather than giving up. Good luck. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.